Do you have a story to tell? Here at Rider on the Road, it's the journey that matters. Regardless of where you are on your riding journey, Rider on the Road will inspire you to take your dreams and make them happen. So sit back and enjoy the show as Melinda brings you guests who know what it's like to go it alone and who are willing to reach out to the rest of us by sharing their stories. Authors, publishers, entrepreneurs, people at all stages of the riding journey, just like you and me. It's time, dear listeners, to answer the question for yourselves. Do you have a story to tell? And welcome to episode 61 of Writing on the Road. And the exciting thing about this week is it's the very last episode of Writer on the Road in its current format. And I say it's exciting because it's not the end, it's new beginnings. Uh, you won't have to listen to our beautiful introduction that we made ourselves. That's all changing and we're, we're sort of going a little bit more professional, which I guess some of you will be glad to hear. Uh, I'm bringing on a co-host and I'm very, very excited to be welcoming our new co-host next week. So tune in if you want to hear how it's supposed to be done. Um, my new co-host is a little bit more professional than me and hopefully we'll be able to do some really interesting things together. The other exciting news is that we're adding to our business. We're adding to the Writer on the Road brand and it's called Open Road Audio. But when my co-host comes along next week, he'll be able to tell you a lot more about that. He's madly researching as we speak. Uh, so he'll be able to bring us lots of news and views about uh, the popularity and the growing popularity of audiobooks and all things audio. In other news, this week is the London Book Fair and hopefully this will be the last time that I have to tell you about the London Book Fair without actually being there. Uh, the girls and I are very excited to be um, aiming to get over to these sort of events in the future and that's part of our brand of Rudder on the Road and that's one of the things that we'll be expanding. We want to start travelling around a bit and bringing you news uh, in situ from some of these places. Um, the girls and I have got Paris at the top of our list, we've got London um, and I believe there's some really great uh, conferences and festivals happening around uh, Australasia so I'm hoping to get around a few of those but knowing my luck the very first one that I get to attend is the uh, Australian Romance Writers Conference which is here in downtown Brisbane if I miss that one you ought to slap me. Uh, the, uh, the Alliance of Independent Authors Salon with Joanna Penn and Orna Ross discuss the current state of indie publishing. If you want to jump onto the Alliance of Independent Authors website, you can have a listen to that. That's something that's really, really important and I'll be having a listen and I'll be able to bring you some updates on that in the future. Author Earnings Report is out. Uh, it's Hugh Howie. It's always really interesting to see how well indie publishing is doing. Um, and especially in the international states, which is what we're interested here in Australia, we want to know how we're going and how we're going to make our money. So that makes really, really interesting listening. Uh, this week I've got Storytelling with Sean D'Souza. Now this guy is a favourite of mine and I'm so looking forward to bringing this one to you. I've been saving this one up for a special occasion and I think... Um, this being our last week of Rider on the Road in its current format, you can't get any more special occasion than that. And then later on in the week, I'm bringing you another podcast about the science of storytelling. Last thing, uh, I really need some iTunes reviews. My new partner looked at my iTunes reviews, and even though we've got a dozen or so five-star reviews, the last one was last year, and he went a little bit quick on me and said I should be actively seeking more five-star reviews. So if anyone out there feels sorry for me, could you please go along and give me a five-star review? So sit back, have a listen to my favourite man at the moment, Sean D'Souza, and don't forget this is the last time you'll hear that beautiful music and our old intro.
and it's welcome to another episode of Writer on the Road. Today I'm travelling to the beautiful, beautiful New Zealand uh, where it's, I'm guessing, sunny and warm because we're in the middle of summer over here in this part of the world, as you all know. I'm talking to Sean D'Souza. Uh, good morning, Sean. Good morning. Good morning. Did I pronounce that name correctly? That was perfect. Thank you. Perfect. Yeah. Now, Sean is a fascinating man and I met him at our podcasting conference at the end of last year. And what excited me about this man is his ability to tell story. So I've asked Sean on here today, A, to talk about story, but also to fit in with our, uh, I guess, our life that we're living here at Rider on the Road this year. And that's our year of living creatively. If there's one man that's got it down pat, it's certainly Sean. Uh, Sean, as you would, we were just talking before we started, you get up at four o'clock in the morning and you live life to the full until you go to bed at the other end. That's correct. I've done that for pretty much 20, 25 years now. So it's just, it's just who I am. Not, not everyone needs to do it. It's who I am. Yeah. What fascinates me, and we'll go right into it, Sean, is that living the creative life can sound very romantic, but it also takes focus and dedication. Uh, and now we'll talk about your success shortly. Uh, but for 25 years, I'm guessing you've stuck to that routine of getting up at four o'clock in the morning in the office by 4.30 and, and achieving great things. Well, I started out getting to the office at four o'clock. But in the past month, I've I've realized, especially in 2016, that it's possible for me to do a lot of stuff. And I don't know how everyone is, but I know that a lot of people, over time, they're able to do many things. They acquire many skills. These are people who who really want to achieve things in life. So they acquire many skills and they can do many things. And and I had to slow down even more than, you know, I take breaks and stuff, but I wanted to slow down even more. So now my alarm is set to wake me up to some meditation and um, I don't need an alarm, but essentially it prevents me from getting to work for half an hour every day. Yeah. And when you are at work, now everybody... I am just amazed by this man's creativity. Now, he, he is a small businessman. He is very much into marketing, and that's where he's made his money. But, Sean, your your cartoons are amazing. Now, I'm assuming that's a hobby? That was a profession at one point in time, um, like everything else. I do. I tend to do things that I want to do not things that I have to do. And I know that a lot of people find this very difficult because everyone wants to do the things they want to do. But when I started out, that was the only thing that I was very good at. I wasn't very good at writing or speaking or dancing or cooking. And and I'm giving you a list of the things that I am now very good at. But I was very good at drawing. I was drawing because I was very shy as a kid. And so that was my outlet. I'd sit in the corner and draw and read. And that was pretty much what people knew me for. So I did a lot of it. 
Yeah, and everybody, as we know, they're probably characteristics of most creatives, you know, uh, hiding in a corner, doing the things that you're passionate about, but very, very quietly. The funny thing is, I met this man and he was on a stage and he had everybody captivated. Uh, Sean, you were telling us stories and those stories resonate and you use David Attenborough as as your example. Now, I was sitting in school uh, last week and the principal gave us an address and he put up a little David Attenborough clip and it was about this gecko lizardy thing escaping a big bunch of snakes and it was quite terrifying but the little gecko won in the end. Uh, when I met you, you were telling us about barnacle goose falling off the cliffs. What is it about story and, and suspense and climax that has people leaning forward in their chairs and is such an engaging technique for you? The main thing about stories are that stories run the same way, whether you're writing an article, you're writing a sales letter, you're in comedy, you're making a presentation. It doesn't matter what you're doing. The storyline is essentially the same. And it's slightly diverse in the way you execute it, but it's, it's, it's very similar. And one of the things that you need to understand with stories is that the audience needs to kind of be there along for the ride. So when you were watching that gecko thing, you immediately knew what was going to happen next, that the the gecko was trying to escape. And you didn't know the end. So what that storytelling is all about is about suspense. Now, there's a difference between mystery and suspense. And what the good storyteller does is they put you in a position where you kind of know the end point, but you're not sure. And so then they run the story. So when you look at that David Attenborough thing, that's been watched millions of times now, even though it was released recently. And the thing that captivates you is that eventually, at many points in that whole video, that gecko almost becomes lunch with those snakes, you know, and and you know that. Is it will it, won't it, will it, won't it, will it, won't it? And so they're creating that suspense. When you have a story that has mystery, which is boof, something shows up and it's gone, then it's boring. But when you build up that suspense and the audience kind of knows where you're going, it's more interesting because they're not actually sure how it's going to end and that's up to you as a storyteller yeah now you're a speaker and a writer nowadays and you you train lots and lots of people uh as a speaker you use story right from the beginning to to engage your audience uh i'm guessing that one of the things you do so very very well is teach by doing yeah the the thing is that when you're using stories, so see, the first thing you have to understand is the mindset of the reader, the mindset of the audience, the mindset of anyone that you're communicating with. They're really not that interested in you. And once you understand that concept that they're not interested in you, then you have to snap them out of whatever they were doing, whatever text they were sending, whatever it was that they were doing, you're snapping them out in one, between one to five seconds. This is what comedians do. This is what writers do. They will start off with saying something which is so interesting. It's like when I stood up on that stage, I started talking about Will Smith's strategy and 
I was supposed to be talking about podcasts and people didn't know why I was talking about Will Smith's strategy. So then you have to look up from your phone. You have to look up. You have to kind of transport yourself to my world. And that is precisely what storytelling does. It it forces the person to move from their world to your world. And of course, you know, when you, you implement things, you, you don't want to just tell people how to do it. You actually want to do it and, and demonstrate how you're doing it. Yeah. Now I'm, I'm talking to Sean and I'm a little bit cheeky because Sean is actually an expert in this state, uh, this stuff. He has a website called uh, Psycho, Psycho Tactics and runs a small uh, business, a small business podcast uh, about marketing and selling. Now, as writers, uh, as indie publishers, we're very interested in that kind of stuff. Uh, Sean, you have become, I guess, one of the most successful people in this area. Uh, and it's not through chasing the money from what I can read. It's through your, your idea of perfection. That's correct. The The most interesting part is that the money comes in mountains, even when you're not chasing it. So there's a very interesting story. See, I'm going to tell you a story. So there is this, this story about two Indian god, goddesses, and one of them is called Lakshmi, and that is the goddess of wealth, and the second one is called Saraswati, and she's the goddess of learning. And Essentially, what Hindu mythology tells us is that if you follow Lakshmi, which is the goddess of wealth, then you will chase her forever and she doesn't pay any attention to you. But if you follow Saraswati, which is the goddess of learning, she will be loyal to you for all your life. And here's the, clin- here's the clincher. Lakshmi, the goddess of wealth, gets so jealous of Saraswati that she follows you as well. So... The thing is that success is really part of the deal or money, you will get that money provided you're able to drive home something and go deep into something because especially now, you know, when you look at you look at what's available on the Internet, like yesterday, I was looking through a book. That person had, I don't know, 30 or 40 testimonials. A friend recommended the book. It was only 90 pages. I went through the book. I finished 40% of the book in about 15 minutes. It was utter rubbish. You know, so you're in a situation where people are just pumping out stuff. They're just churning out stuff. And if you stop them with something that is less demanding but more deep, they're always going to pay attention to you, always. Yeah, I was talking to my year 12s at school, Sean, and I was telling them we live in a world now where their generation uh, has the most opportunities and lives in really, really, excuse me, I have a garbage truck going by, talk about slice of life, Uh, and these guys can contact anyone anywhere in the world at any time and no generation before them has been able to do that. Uh, And the downside of that is the hype. Uh, and the churn that is out there, but as I said to them, if you if you think about what you're doing and search out the people who who you want to, I guess, um, model yourself on, the opportunities are endless. Yeah, and technically, you don't. I know. Sorry to contradict you, but you don't need endless opportunity. You need enough opportunity 
to keep your mind bright and be very interested in what you do. And if if you find teachers like that, then you're able to go deep. A lot of people are going wide, they're going up, they're going all over the place, but depth is what is really interesting. When you're able to when you're able to dig deep into a topic, it reveals itself to you like nothing else. It's just pure magic. Yeah, and uh, you're welcome to contradict me any time I can tell you. Um, as I said, I, I've met this man. I, I, I am just amazed by you, Sean. Uh, I'm looking very deeply at this idea of a creative life and what it actually means to live a creative life. And I've read fairly widely on the subject as well. And it scares me at the hype that is out there. And, you know, if you follow these 10 steps in five minutes, you'll have this perfect life. Actually, the life you described that it took you 20 years to build. So it's not actually true that you can do these things in five minutes, is it? Um, there are limitations to five minutes. I mean, you can do things in five minutes that you couldn't do in 20 years, and there are things you can do in 20 years that you can't do in five minutes. Now, the, the, whole, the, the whole point is that nobody wants to wait 20 years. No one wants to. So when you send out a message that you say it's going to take you 20 years to get here, nobody wants to do that. But 20 years pass anyway. I mean, before you know it, five years past and 10 years. I mean, we started psychotactics 17 years ago. It doesn't seem like 17 years. I would say five years at the at top, tops. I wouldn't say 17 years, but um, yeah, it's, you, you just, you can't do stuff in five minutes. Not, those are clickbait headlines. They're designed to get your attention to read the stuff but then can they keep you can they teach you i they can't yeah now you're a bit of a headline expert according to to something somewhere that i've read so being a marketing person you know how to gain the attention of your audience uh but i do remember something that um was talked about at a at our conference that you're only interested in the people who are serious about what they're doing um who are prepared to commit and are prepared to do the work that's correct we put barriers in the way of our clients it sounds counterproductive as a business but it's a very it's a very smart strategy to begin with and it's also a strategy that's used by coaches that are exceptional so when you look at someone that's exceptional you will almost always find a great coach behind them and that that coach will always have specific rules and in most cases, you will find that that coach doesn't just produce one winner. That is not a coach. That is someone who's had a fluke. You know that a person is a coach because they turn out winner after winner after winner. Sometimes this coach is just a single family, like the father. You know, in, there is a there is a podcast called Decoding Genius. I think it's an Australian podcast, and in one of the episodes, all the kids turn out to be exceptionally smart. But the, the father has very clearly started out before they were born, you know, in the womb, 
they started out. You look at uh, the story of Susan Polgar. She was the first female grandmaster in the world. All her sisters are, are grandmasters. No one until 1980 or 85 even believed that a woman could beat a man in chess. I know it sounds bizarre, but you know that's that's how it how things go. I slightly forgot your question, but. <laughs> I could listen. I could sit here. You are free to talk on my podcast, however long you wish. I'm I'm very interested in that idea of of coaching and and helping people come along behind you and showing them that there are ways that work and ways that don't work. Now I notice you've got um, a, a beautiful family yourself, so you role model what it is to be a lifelong learner. Yes. Um... I, their family, I mean, those are my nieces, but I'm very involved with one of them. So she's almost uh, like like a daughter. In, we mentor her. She, I pick her up from school. She's with us till 7.30. It's like having a kid. It's not – I get to give her back at the end of the day, but she's here a lot even during school holidays. She's here for 10 hours a day. So, But the point is that – if you don't make time for learning and you don't make time for implementation, you don't learn anything. For instance, I've kept uh, just 10 minutes a day to beef up my Photoshop skills. I learned Photoshop maybe 10 years ago, 15 years ago, maybe even I think I was using Photoshop 3, which is going back almost 20 years. I can work my way around Photoshop faster than most people, but in the last five, ten years, I haven't really used any of the, the additional features. And so I decided I'm going to learn that. And I only allocated 10 minutes a day. What I found was that I can watch all the videos I want. I can understand all the concepts. The moment I sit down to apply them, I am completely lost. And so I have to work out, okay, it's not just about listening or reading or watching but somehow I have to implement it because that's when it all falls to pieces. And it's only once I overcome that barrier, and sometimes that barrier takes twice or thrice as much time as watching or reading it. And this is what interests me about people who say, oh, I want to learn how to speed read. And my concept is, well, what, are you, what kind of advantage are you going to get by speed reading? Because, yes, speed reading is a really good idea if you want to cover context or content that you don't know anything about. So it's a very good overview system if that's what you want. But you're not going to learn anything in terms of you're not going to have the depth of what that person has written, especially if that is a good writer. Because if you slow down, especially on the second read maybe, which people never get to, you know, they're, they're so eager. I, I'm going to read one book a day. I'm going to read. There's always this, this desire to finish stuff, to go to the next thing. But how are you going to implement it? What are you thinking about? This requires time. This requires space. And no one today seems to, well, not no one. I'm, I'm generalizing, but a lot of people don't seem to understand that that's what you need. You need space. You need you need structure. I know that if I haven't planned for the day, 
then the moment my energy is dissipated, that's it. That's the end of the day. It doesn't matter if it's 10 o'clock or 4 o'clock or whatever time, it's going to go downhill from there. But if I have planned, if I've taken a little time the previous night to plan for the day, then I will get close to 70 or 80%, even 100% done. So learning is very critical and it becomes a sort of burden when you want to do like I want to do. I want to learn how to paint. I want to learn how to dance, cook, um, write, teach, present. There, it, it, I don't know how to put it. It's not a curse, but it looks like it at times. Yeah, and I think I think two of the critical words for me in um, my writing on creativity are time and space. Uh, they're, they're two of my key words because I've always said that it takes me a whole day to write half a day. And that only makes sense to people like my daughter who watch. And you need to lock yourself away and you need to work out what you want to say. So in this day and age where there is all the churn and the hype and these people are saying, write a novel in, you know, 30 days, or I read one yesterday and something came through to me, oh, you can, you can achieve a, a book and a business card in 24 hours. And I'm going... I'm just, I just move in a different world. I move in a different space. Uh, I'm just wondering whether, as you said, people are falling for the advertising and not actually wondering what they want to get out of it at the other end. I think there is a lot of stuff happening there. I think one of the things that's happening is just that there is a sense of learned helplessness that... Uh, the second is a sense of envy. So when we look at learned helplessness, it's like, I can't write this book. I don't know how to write this book. And the more time passes, the more frustrated I get with not having to, not being able to write a book. Um, the second thing is envy. It's um, everyone is writing a book. Surely there must be a better way than the way I've been trying and I have tried. So... Something that comes across as quick and easy, like learn a language in a week. Well, sure, I'm going to take a stab at it, but it's irrelevant that it doesn't work. Because when it doesn't work, then what you do is you blame yourself. You say, the system can't be wrong. There must be something wrong with me. And so then you try something else. And the people who are selling this stuff, they frankly don't have what you would call an ethical standard. Now, ethics is totally a different ballgame based on who you're speaking to. Your ethics might not be my ethics, but it's pretty sure, I'm pretty sure that any book that you're going to write in 24 hours or even a week, and I can write a book, a very good book in a week, but if you said to me, going back 10 years or 15 years, could you write a book in a week? Uh, I'd say you're insane. And I'd still say you're insane, you know, if you were just starting out. Because what happens as you write, and I write five, 6,000 words at the very least every every week, um, what happens is that everything starts to work in your head. 
uh, you know that you're a very good writer because you don't have to put anything on paper. You're assembling and reassembling and moving things. You're moving the stories. You're moving a lot of stuff in your head. And then when you sit down to outline, when you, when you sit down to just mind map, you are actually struggling because the thoughts are racing faster than you can put on a mind map. This is not an article or a book or anything. You're you're struggling to put I, I have to sometimes just write all the points so I don't forget them. Or even if I'm dictating it, it's not. But it's all assembling in your head. And that's like a language. So when you speak a language, that's what you do. You assemble it all in your head. You don't have to write down everything. That's when you could probably write a book in a week um, if you're very good at it. Yeah. Now, you know yourself very well. I'm assuming it's taken some time and some thought and some process where it where you've gotten to this point where you know how you work or know how you work best. Yes and no. I kind of know where I'm going, but I've learned to trust uh, the diversion. And what's happened is that I, I'm, I'm very structured as a person, but I'm also very unstructured. So th that, that kind of paradox drives me. And so I will follow the diversion. And maybe, for instance, today I was going, okay, I won't sit at my desk. I'll go to the cafe and I'll write. And would that work? I don't know, but I'll try it. And then I'll try it again. I'll try it the third time. And, and maybe it'll work for f maybe a month or two. And then, you know, the desk will be a better place. And, or maybe working from home is not a good idea. Maybe I'll have to go to another city to work or maybe I have to do in pencil. A lot of people want to nail this down. They want to go, okay, so you, you write, you know, by doing a mind map. Yeah, sometimes I do that. Sometimes I work with a post-it. Sometimes... Um, I will brainstorm on Facebook, get all the points together. Sometimes I'll go to Amazon.com. To have that structure is probably important for your sanity, but a lot of the time you're just looking to procrastinate. You're just trying to get out of that act of writing because I was listening to a, a podcast um, and one of the... I mean, the guy who was being interviewed was, I think his name's Michael Lewis. He wrote the, the um, he, he's written quite a few books that have been made into movies. And the interviewer was trying to say, you know, that the writing process is difficult. And, and Michael said, no, no, no. For me, the assembly is difficult. It's the drafts that are difficult. And I find that to be true. If I'm writing a a book or I'm writing an article, it's the drafts that are very difficult. What you're trying to do is you're trying to get rid of the extra, of the extra stuff, of the material that's not needed. So essentially what you're doing is you're carving a statue and you're getting rid of the bits that are not needed. And the bad writers, the bad information givers stuff everything in. And the good ones, they know that you have to remove a lot of the stuff and keep just a little bit to then create great stuff. And I think 
that is an ongoing battle where you try different ways and different medias and different locations and whatever. But eventually, if you have a deadline, which is pretty much unmovable, then that's where you end up anyway. And you usually end up with good stuff. Yeah. Now, Sean, it was worth um, waiting to talk to you just to hear those last few sentences. As everyone knows, I'm really struggling to write this book on creativity. I've been battling with it for over two months now. I keep rejecting and rejecting and rejecting everything that I'm, I'm reading because I've found it really difficult to find out what I want to say. Um, and there's so much written on, you know, the creative life and creative living. Uh, and I found, I finally found what I want to say, but it took two months of agony and I was talking to my daughter and I said it's like every time she writes an assignment she'll she won't put pen to paper but she'll read for months and months and then it just happens and I think sometimes you have to go through all that angst just to get it right and maybe sometimes if you don't put the thought in in the first place you don't produce anything of any merit you the brain is is nature's most effective spam filter so what we have is a ton of information coming at us all the time, but even without the internet, even without email, we are getting rid of a lot of the stuff that's not important to us. And what's really happening when you're reading stuff, when you're preparing stuff, when you're making drafts, is the brain is going through a system of rejection. That's what it's doing. When you go through a system of rejection, your ideas are getting clearer and clearer. However, there is such a thing as too much clarity or too much preparation. You're lucky that you've spent two months getting this book together. I wanted to write a book on talent for the last eight years. It hasn't happened. Okay. So there is the concept of a fixed deadline. And I've got, say, I'm doing a workshop now on on a landing page on sales letters and that's in two weeks and I have to prepare the presentation. Now, I already have done this workshop twice before in the past 10 years, version one of it, version two of it. And the easiest thing for me to do would be to just do that version for the third time. But I've completely ripped it apart and I have to reconstruct it. However, I know that in two weeks, I'm going to stand before that audience and I have to give that three-day presentation. So it's not like I just have one hour of stuff, three days of stuff. And so the deadline is going to force me to be creative, but to get it out on time. If I'm not given that deadline, eight years is a very short time. Uh, yeah, and that's one of the biggest problems that I think we face as indie writers uh, is that our deadlines are our, our, are our own. We can make two mistakes. We can rush stuff out too quickly before it's ready or we can just not put stuff out at all. And that can be through fear, that can be through procrastination, that can be through the nice new shiny object that comes running through the door at you. It It is a balance and it is a fine fine line, I'm guessing. Now, everybody, the um, I've got to wind this up now because Sean's given us half an hour of his time, which I really appreciate. Uh Nine months work, three months relaxation or, or rejuvenation, I guess you could call it. It's taken you a long time to get to that or have you always had three months a year off? 
when we used to live in India and we moved to New Zealand in the year 2000 and it was a new start. Um, I just wanted to do things a different way. When I started out, um, I had a lot of problems getting payments in India. It's just the nature of India. It's just uh, there is a law in place. There is a system in place. No one follows the system. It's chaotic. And so when I moved to New Zealand, one of the things that was really exciting to me was to get a check from a client on the 20th of the month. It was like a magic trick. You know, you go to the post box and there were five checks there. It was like you didn't have to follow up with anybody. You didn't have to do anything. You just got the money. And that was my first taste of kind of freedom because then I could spend all the other time that I usually spend chasing up and getting really upset. Um, I could do that to learn. I could do that to do other stuff. So I decided at that point in time when, so I was still a cartoonist at that point, but then when I started up Psychotactics, I decided that I would get paid in advance or I would not be doing the job. And the second thing I decided was that for me to work, I didn't need time. I needed energy. And a lot of people struggle because they they make a mistake. They think that time is the most important thing. But essentially, when you look at a day, any given day, and you stop at, say, 5 o'clock in the evening, you still have about five hours to go, but you don't have any energy. And so what I've been working on since 2000 is how to get the factor of energy. And I think that is becoming more profound for me now than, say, 17 years ago, 18 years ago, or 20 years ago. It, 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 I understand energy much better, and that's what the three-month part of what it's all about. So we work for 12 weeks, and then we take four weeks off. And we do this on a consistent basis, which ends up being three months off. But we also take the weekends off. And this was very hard for me to handle. In fact, I I could only work enough kind of I, – I could only get myself to do this in 2015 when I decided, okay, I'm going to take the weekend off. Because I always thought, if I don't do all this work on the weekend, it'll come and bite me on Monday. And to my surprise, I found that just being able to 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 get that energy back – on the weekend, not to have to look at um, email on the weekend, not to have to deal with any of the assignments of the courses on the weekend. That was enough to propel me much faster. Otherwise, I was always getting tired. So I did little things like, you know, the end of last year, I started, I deleted the Facebook app because I found that on the iPad and the iPhone, I was on Facebook, not a lot, just five, seven minutes at a time, just 10 times a day. And so now I'm still on Facebook. I'm not a radical. I just delete the app. And if you've ever deleted the Facebook app, you'll know that, you know, even in the fastest connection, it takes like four or five minutes to download the app again, like at least two minutes. And so you have to really think, do I really want to install this app today and go through all the authorizations? And five days out of seven, the app is not on my phone. So it it saves me a lot of energy that energy I can put to just resting or meditating or whatever. Um, 
And really, that's been the focus. So when I look at my week, I don't think of it as a seven-day week. I think of it as a five-day week. And I say, what can I achieve in five days? And when I look at the year, I don't look at it as a 12-month year. I look at it as a nine-month year. And I say, what can I achieve in nine months? And you know, it's artificial. We made the 12-month year and we made the seven-day week and we can break it. And I think that is something, everybody, that we can all think about and take a lesson from. My daughters want me to delete the Facebook app, and I actually think they're right listening to you. I agree with you and just maybe keep it on the computer. Uh, When I first made this appointment with Sean, I don't know if you remember, Sean, you sent me your plan out for the next 18 months, I think it was. Um, You're obviously a very high achiever, and you obviously have learned to manage that. It drives my wife crazy. I'm talking of, <laughs> I'm talking about twenty. I I forget now which year we, we're in. Twenty seventeen. I'm talking about twenty nineteen. We 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 were with friends the other night, and they wanted to plan a trip to Sicily. And I said, look, I have one slot left in September of twenty eighteen. Um, or something like that, and I said, and they, and she she turned to me and she said, so 2019 is free for us, right? And I said, yes, at this moment, yes. <laughs> yeah, look, I'm the complete opposite. I don't even know what I'm doing tomorrow. Uh, Sean, you've been delightful, um, and certainly talking around that idea of creativity, Creativity and the creative life has clarified a few things. Your photographs on um, Facebook are absolutely beautiful, so I don't know whether you've um, photoshopped them or not, but it certainly makes New Zealand and your food look absolutely amazing. Everyone, you can catch up with Sean. I'll put his website up there. Uh, It's um, psychotactics.com, I believe. Um, You've got the Brain Audit. You've got your Critical Website Components Series. You've got your membership site, 5000 BC, which we didn't even and talk about i have to get you back there another time everybody remember goddess of learning before the goddess of wealth going deep not wide Uh, find yourself a good coach trust a version and we'll get sean back when he's written his book on talent there's one more thing if you you know which all people struggle with is resistance there is a really nice book go to psychotactics.com slash resistance I missed it, everybody. It's not. It's not. It's not where I'm looking. Um, resistance. Two seconds. What's it about? It's just about resistance. It's how resistance is a friend who's misunderstood. Uh, okay, now we're curious. I'm, I am curious. I will go aboard. Now, remember, when you go to Sean's site, um, it's for people who are serious about their marketing, serious about their business, and, and want to achieve. Um, and half an hour with you, Sean, and I'm assuming that you're you're driven and that you don't let your, your clients or the people that you coach get away with too much. Well, I follow the diversion I, I go with the diversion and then sometimes I get back on the road. <laughs> You're beautiful. Look, thank you for your time this morning. Very, very generous of you. Um, and it's it's goodbye for now to Sean D'Souza of beautiful Auckland, New Zealand. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Okay. Bye for now from Rider on the Road. 